Hello and welcome to episode 82 of the Live to Walk Again podcast. My name is Jeremy Dixon, your host as always, and with me once again, the potential co-host of the year, Brandon Stevens. Brandon, say hello to the people. Shout out. Thank you. I was feeling a little disrespected that you weren't uh, giving me my nomination. I know it's early in the year. I mean, I have to keep you hungry. Oh, I'm hungry. And today, I mean, today's a day of celebration. Uh, it is. I mean, first, man, let's let's remind everyone. Uh, first of all, thank you for listening to this podcast. You can uh, hear this on any of the podcast streaming platforms. We would appreciate if you could rate, review, uh, you know, give we us any shares. Yeah, we do need to do some more reviews. Somebody do it. Please. Yeah, five give, stars yeah, only. Yeah, five though. stars only. Email Jeremy if you hate us. Yeah. You can get me at uh, or li- me. I know, get me I know, at I know li- you don't hate Jeremy. You can get me at live to walk again <laughs> at gmail.com. Jeremy, that or live to walk you. again on like Instagram. Just You're up. just messing up the whole flow. Live to walk again on Instagram. Live to walk one on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, live to walk again at gmail.com. Just Google live to walk again. You find us. Yeah, we're out there. Um, so yeah, it is. Uh, you mentioned it's a day of celebration, Brandon. Um, I got the vaccine. Woo! Finally. Yeah, I'm fake, uh, fake clap. Yep, some Put fireworks. Put the round of applause in there. Yeah, fireworks. All that's that. good, man. We went up. We got Jay the uh, the Moderna vaccine yesterday. We got the call on the bat line. We had, scram- we had to scramble the jets. Jay. We had to do all that. Man. Call this number, the secret number, Woo. and they were like, "You want to get in?" And and then it happened. Yep hour man it all came together maybe like an hour and a half we were ready to go i told you yeah brandon was ready with the uh with the phone line i was about to call your wife if you didn't answer because yeah, i was dude, worried man I, I mean they had a little operation going so we're getting we're making progress and um it's I'm good man it's just that. good to see like i know like four people that um our buddy sam just i talked to him yeah. today he just got his vaccine that's great um, you know, I mean, I think it's a good thing. I mean, well, I hope people aren't politicizing it too much. Um, there's going to, I mean, this is going to happen regardless. I mean, that's just the nature of, the, I just want to go back to normal, man. I want to go back to normal. I just don't want you to die, bro. I know that's true. That, okay. I, I want, I don't want to <laughs> die and I want things to go back and, to normal. And regardless of what, what people say, there are, there have been 500,000 people, whether, you know, you're in fear of covid or you don't believe it some there is some validity to uh people dying and people with pre-existing conditions are the ones that are primarily going out yeah it's and true, you ain't man. going out like that it's true i'm not i'm not bro i'm, I'm here i can't wait man i'm uh i'm very I'm, I'm i don't know man it was it was crazy in there like people uh, we, we got to visit with this uh, older Asian gentleman. Like, I thought he was going to give us a hug. He was so happy in there, man. Mm-hmm. He was pumped. Yeah, so. Everybody, it was a good vibe. Yeah, it was, a, yeah it was like the happiest place but, on earth, man. But, Disneyland, uh, step aside. But you know what Cypress Hill says? I ain't going out like that. <laughs> I ain't going out. Did you just look that up on your phone? No. To see who? <laughs> I know that for real. <laughs> oh, man. It's like I just feel like yeah, I saw you looking at your phone. Anyway, so yeah, man, that's good news. I'm I'm happy. I get. The I'm from second, the '90s, bro. I get the second dose. I know. I knew that though. I was just like I was making sure you didn't uh, have to fact right. check it. Oh, um, man, I wouldn't want to say something wrong on here because you'll call me out. <laughs> You're damn right. Um, but yeah, man. They, so 
I get, uh, you know, here we're in March Madness. This is crazy times out here in the in the United States. But uh, I think there's a, a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, finally, man. Brighter days ahead. Definitely. Absolutely. So yeah, man. Um, Brandon, there has been uh, an influx of spinal cord injury related podcasts out here over the last few months. Nice. Um, I did. Uh, I saw our guy Eric Hawk from. Portugal, the man went on. Heck yeah, Northwest native. Yep, What's up? Yep. Uh, went on a podcast called STFD podcast. It's sit the fuck down. I think is what it's like. Two uh, two super talented young ladies that are doing this too. But I'm hey just man, and uh, then the, I was gonna say. Remember we had some uh, people uh, that were advising us that we needed to, you know, not have controversial names of podcasts and i, know, I said man. like dude do your thing like yeah. i love it sit the fuck down yeah let's go man well fuck paralysis was the original yeah that's that what i'm was, saying that was the working title uh, when we started <laughs> and a uh, few people talked us off the off the cliff but, but now i'm kind of wishing we did I know, it man, man we should roll with it man yeah. like i mean it's a podcast you do what you want to do like the, the whole thing about the podcast is is you're not stuck to the parameters of like this everyday media you gotta be cookie cutter mm-hmm. and you gotta adhere to well, we don't have to yet we don't get paid for shit so we do what we want true true but i just want i mean yeah man there's a there's another one called the Quadcast. i think let's go that's it's a good, good name, name too, too man. man damn i mean i feel like live to walk oh, yeah, podcast sure. is good. Like, we're we're like, foundation. We're, we're the we're the we're the founding fathers of this whole thing, bro. <laughs> oh, dude, like, chill. I'm pretty sure we're not. I bet you if you go check the archives. I don't. Man. Hey, man, I didn't I didn't know about any podcasts well, that were you, doing this before. I, us. We can maybe go look. So we're 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 sunning all these all these other podcasts. But hey, don't we're not discriminating. Yeah, go hey, go listen what, to them too, man. If here's what we're all about. We want a cure for paralysis. Facts. That's what it's all about. At the end of the day, if you're if you're bringing awareness to sci then we rock with you we roll with it man absolutely so yeah i just wanted to you guys you know after you listen to our podcast go check them out but yeah. but yeah we're uh we're after out. you rate review after you rate review like and share like that's then, right go check them and out and do that for them too absolutely joint venture maybe uh yeah for sure so brandon uh this week we uh got the chance or i got the chance to interview uh, a gentleman named dr tommy Souter, hmm. who um is a spinal cord scientist and i my reading comprehension <laughs> at these north thurston public schools obviously isn't that good because i was like oh damn he's a scientist with a spinal cord i don't know like what in a like, spinal yeah, cord scientist like, Damn, bro. i'm like okay and Wouldn't uh that just be like yeah i'm it, it was my bad okay for sure and he's like uh yeah i don't have a spinal cord i'd love to come on your podcast though so uh anyway got him on the show and he's uh, uh yeah man he's done a lot of like cool worked with some very cool people in um you know the the studying of of how to cure spinal cord injuries um, rehab science, things like that. So it ties a lot in um, with last week's guest, Dr. Fatma Inanichi. So um, I thought, what not? Why not just bring this out back to back? But yeah, we uh, we had a good chat over uh, it was a couple weeks ago now. But um, you know, we've been we've been backed up with these podcasts, bro. So and we got more we got more good stuff coming. That's good. 
Yeah, it's it's going well. So, uh, you know, without further ado, let's get to Doctor uh, Doctor Suter, and uh, we'll be back on the other side. This week on the Live to Walk Again podcast, we are happy to be speaking with Doctor Tommy Suter, uh, postdoctoral research scientist. I guess specializing in spinal cord injury uh, research. Uh, Tommy, welcome to the to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me, man. I'm I'm excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, you know, I wanted to kind of know. I know on your your uh, Instagram profile where where I was first uh, brought, you know, you were first brought to my attention. Um, I it, it said that you were a spinal cord injury scientist, and I mm-hmm. my reading comprehension is terrible, I guess, because I was thinking you had a spinal cord injury and you were a, sp- a scientist. But, um, you know, what, I guess, what exactly is a spinal cord, like, what do you, what do, you do um, as a spinal I, cord injury scientist? I see. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I myself am uh, non-injured. And right now I'm a postdoctoral research scientist at the Hunter Holmes McGuire VA Medical Center in Richmond, Virginia. And uh, so a postdoctoral research scientist means somebody who has already finished their PhD, um, but doesn't quite have themselves established in the scientific community well enough yet to write and get their own grants or to run their own lab. Um, So right now I'm being mentored by another scientist named Dr. Ashraf Gorgi at the VA here in Richmond. And my focus is on sensory and motor rehabilitation after spinal cord injury. So like, you know, my my Instagram profile kind of said spinal cord injury scientist, which is just a very general term. but my focus is specifically on physical rehabilitation and how can we make physical rehabilitation better and more effective. And my personal, my big interest is uh, how do we make it more effective for people with chronic and complete spinal cord injuries? Um, Not to say that, you know, other other time points post-injury or people with uh, less severe injuries, warrant any less attention that but the focus on chronic and complete is just kind of where my my path has led me and my interests have led me okay very cool yeah and i i'm actually i have a chronic and complete injury so i'm glad glad to hear that you know what are i guess because that's your focus what do you think some of the pitfalls or like the you know, the negatives of, of the way that people have been doing rehabilitation with, with chronic and complete spinal cord injuries versus, um, I, I guess, yeah, what, what are some of the negatives that ha- have been happening at this point? If you, yeah, I hate to put you on the spot, but. <laughs> no, and, and it's, it's a fair question. Um, and I think the biggest thing that I always saw whether it was talking to medical professionals or other scientists before I got into science myself or reading in journals and articles and things like that was there was always a focus on, well, if somebody has an incomplete injury, then that means they can get function back. Whereas if somebody has a complete injury, then 
there's, you know, there's no chance of getting function back at least after the first one or two years after injury, you know, there are different timelines. And I think that that thinking was logical if you think about the definition that people use for complete versus incomplete. So a lot of times when people think of a complete spinal cord injury, they think of when the spinal cord has been completely transected. There's a gap where there's no tissue left versus an incomplete injury logically would mean there's some tissue spared. And if you read a lot of animal or basic research uh, papers and studies, you'll see that, you know, like if a, in a rat spinal cord injury model, oftentimes that's, that's what it means. A complete injury means they went in there and they completely cut out a chunk of the spinal cord all the way across. But with, when it comes to, uh, sorry, let me back up. So in that animal literature, you know, if a spinal cord is completely severed, then the animal never recovers function. Whereas in an incomplete injury, it's much easier to recover function. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of that mentality, I think, came from, you know, this idea of, okay, in this animal, we can see that there's a complete gap in the spinal cord. Therefore, they're not going to get whatever function back is below the injury. You know, it's sort of, it's, it, it was, it was just, you know, a logical way to think. So what I was getting at uh, just a moment ago, the disconnect is between that way of thinking and the clinical world, the medical world, is that people are, the severity of one spinal cord injury is diagnosed by the Asia exam, or it's, some refer to it as the Insky exam. You know, uh, most people probably have heard, you know, an Asia A, B, C, or D spinal cord injury. Um, and the thing about the Asia exam, it's a very useful clinical tool, but one's Asia sensory and motor scores actually are not directly correlated to the amount of spared tissue left at the spinal cord injury site. So what I mean by that is someone might ask a person with a spinal cord injury to lie on a table and say, can you move this? Can you feel that? And the answer could be no. The answer could be someone has no feeling or movement below their level of injury. But that doesn't actually mean that there's no, no tissue left. So a way to think about it is there's clinically complete. And then there's anatomically complete. Okay. And when it comes to a medical examination that clinically diagnoses the severity of one's spinal cord injury, a clinically complete injury does not mean that there's no tissue left in the spinal cord. And there were a lot of studies in the 80s, uh, many, of, many of which were led by uh, Dmitrievich et al., that showed that people with complete spinal cord injuries still had some supraspinal, some, basically some brain influence on the level of their injury or sorry, below the level of their injury on the spinal cord, even though they were diagnosed with quote unquote complete injuries. And at the same time in the early nineties, there were also a lot of, not, I, I shouldn't say a lot, there were a few papers published um, by one, one round of papers was published by a group of researchers out of Australia, Capulus et al. 
um, that showed they did post-mortem analyses of people who lived with spinal cord injuries and then died of aging or natural causes, you know, after living their life with injury. And what they found was that a lot of people diagnosed with complete injuries still had a lot of spared tissue left. Wow. There, there wasn't a very, there, there was no clear correlation of if you are an Asia D, you have X amount of tissue left versus if you're a C, a B or an A. Okay. So I think because, you know, when those studies were being done in the 80s and the 90s, you know, it was the neurophysiological testing done by Dmitry Avik et al. that showed that people with complete injuries could still have some descending influence, you know, to the spinal cord below the injury level. Again, it wasn't functional. These people were complete but he was showing that these people did have some residual connectivity. The problem was that the studies that he and others were doing involved incredibly expensive, time-consuming, um, you know, it wasn't invasive, but it was very, it took a lot of effort from the participants and from the research team. And so, it, and at the same time, you know, you couldn't open up, <laughs> somebody's vertebral column and look at their spinal cord and see if there was any spared tissue or not. Right. So a lot of that information, while it was out there, it wasn't practical to try and get into that kind of depth when we had a clinical tool that was as simple as the Asia exam. I see. So I where see. I'm going with this is, you know, it's, it, it's been a long time that the idea that if someone has a complete injury, well, we shouldn't include them in this research study, or we shouldn't include them in this, in, in this, uh, you know, rehab intervention, simply because of their diagnosed Asia score. Um, and I think that is changing now. I think, you know, that that's been starting to change, especially, you know, within the last 10 years, the epidural stimulation research um, has kind of shined, has, has reinvigorated discussions about uh, discomplete injury, it's called. In other words, people who have a clinically complete injury, but might still have some descending, you know, brain influence on the spinal cord below the injury level. Um, but it kind of took a while for that to come back around again, because even though that knowledge was there in the 80s and 90s, it was just so time consuming and so expensive to do tests like that that it wasn't practical for hospitals to try and see if somebody was truly complete versus discomplete. And as a result, unfortunately, people with diagnosed with complete injuries got, um, you know, I'm comfortable saying they kind of got the shaft <laughs> when it comes to, when it comes to getting the best opportunities they could for, for physical rehabilitation. So um, now this might be a dumb question, but um, if you, so if you were, if you, so the, the spinal, like you're a complete, you're, you're diagnosed as a complete injury. Could they do like an MRI or something to see if there's still tissue, um, between there? And would they know that simply, or is it something that maybe it grows, grows over time and, and reconnects a bit, you know, how, so yeah, so there are imaging techniques that would make it possible to look at one's injury site. I think the biggest drawback with MRI or other techniques like that is, as far as I'm aware, 
um, you know, spinal hardware like rods, screws, or cages to stabilize the injury site. Uh, that kind of hardware is so common that for most people, an MRI wouldn't show you anything because the metal in the hardware that's meant to stabilize the injury site would completely disrupt, um, distort, I should say, any image that you would get from an MRI. So if someone has spinal hardware, then an MRI wouldn't really give you reliable, uh, a reliable image of how much of the injury site is spared. Uh, but if someone doesn't have that hardware, then it, it would be possible to, to get an image of a, you know, from an MRI or something like that. Okay, I understand. Yeah, so I mean, where do you see, I guess, uh, rehabilitation for complete chronic spinal cord injuries going, um, you know, in the next five, 10 years? Would, I mean, yeah, I think, um, you know, in the not too distant future, I'm certainly going to try. And I think um, others, you know, researchers and clinicians are thinking the same as me, that, you know, all of the all of the things that was once assumed a complete injury wouldn't benefit from, like intense task-specific motor practice or locomotor training or things like that, um, we need to start trying again. And we need to combine them uh, with different neuromodulation techniques. So, you know, I already mentioned there's the epidural stimulation, which might be a little bit farther away than five or 10 years from being widely clinically available, although I would love to be proven wrong um, <laughs> with that estimation. But I think there are other things uh, like the transcutaneous uh, spinal cord stimulation and other types of electrical stimulation. There are some pharmacological uh, neuromodulation techniques out there on the horizon and other techniques like acute intermittent hypoxia. Um, basically all different kinds of techniques that are meant to enhance the output of the nervous system if we study those techniques better and then study how to best combine those with physical rehabilitation, I think that's where the research and eventually the clinical practice will go. Because it's, it's, it's you know, a, a lot of people, unfortunately, they know that you can only try so hard for so long um, to get a movement back, you know, whether it be your hands, arms, trunk, whatever, you can only try so hard for so long before you have to spend time in your day doing, you know, other things than physical rehabilitation uh, if, if that movement doesn't come back. And when it comes to these neuromodulation techniques, we can't really expect someone to just take a pill or put some pads on their spinal cord and then just sit there and do nothing and get function back. It ha it's going to have to be a combination of the two. Right. Um, and so I think that intentional, you know, intense movement practice, physical rehabilitation, whatever you want to call it, combined with these neuromodulation techniques that are on the horizon are where, where the field, you know, needs to and hopefully will go. Yeah. And, you know, I've talked to a few people um, who have foundations more or less that are aimed at getting people more rehabilitation because I know you know I, I was injured in 1998 and uh, mm -hmm. um, you know back then I got I mean I was in the hospital from you know for probably three months of, of rehabilitation and 
and now you know you hear we you know, I was in there for three weeks and then they was out on my own um so I guess that's kind of another thing that probably needs to be be uh boosted back up to to let people really get get some good rehabilitation um right after their injury because that's the, obviously the most precious time for for any gains I mean at least it has at least that's what it's been thought um up till now yeah absolutely um you know I wanted to also I guess I, I meant to ask you this early in the early a little earlier in the interview but what uh drew you to work and study spinal cord injuries and and work with spinal cord injury patients yeah it um it, I, I definitely took a little bit of a convoluted path into it um you know, I, I, I was an athlete growing up, uh, you know, track and field and then some other sports more recreationally, but throwing in track and field was always my biggest passion, like the, the shot put, the discus, the hammer throw. And I was never very good <laughs> at those events. Um, so I actually went into, when I went to college, I went into uh, exercise science and pursued an exercise science degree, ultimately thinking that I wanted to be either a strength coach or, um, you know, a throwing coach, a track and field coach when I graduated. And so, you know, with an exercise science degree, it seems to make sense like, okay, I'm going to learn how to be strength and conditioning coach with this kind of degree. Um, and I eventually went on to get a master's degree in exercise science as well. And while I was always super passionate about strength and conditioning and uh, throwing in track and field, there was always kind of this sort of like, like nagging thought in the back of my head, like, you know, there are bigger problems in the world than athletes who want to run faster. But I just, I had never, I'd never had the right opportunity. I'd never had the right experiences to know like what, what should I be doing if I want to try and do something bigger with my life. But I also know, and I knew then and know now I didn't want to just, you know, on my deathbed, I didn't want to be thinking like, well, what did I do with my life? I took a football player who squatted 500 pounds and I got him to squat 510, you know, like that's, yeah. That wasn't gonna that wasn't gonna leave enough of a mark on the world for me. And so after I finished my master's degree, uh, my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, was just scrolling through some job postings online and saw that there was a gym back in New Jersey where I was from called Push to Walk. And that was a gym that specialized in providing uh, exercise and activity-based training for people with spinal cord injuries and other disorders. I had just finished my master's degree and I needed a job. So I applied and I had no experience with spinal cord injury, no experience really with anybody that wasn't like a dedicated able-bodied athlete. But, uh, but like I said, you know, I, I figured I'd give it a shot. And so I did that for four years and that was a very gradual learning experience for me where, you know, my passion for strength and conditioning completely shifted and became laser focused on physical rehabilitation for people with spinal cord injuries. You know, I, when I was early in the game, maybe a month or two in, I remember thinking to myself, it very ignorantly, I'm going to preface it with that. I had the ignorant thought of, okay, well, if someone's gone through, you know, this accident that's left them paralyzed, 
oh, if this were me, I would be reading every textbook I could and researching everything I could to get better and, you know, and, and get back every, all the function I could or whatever, you know, things like that. And over time, I realized, like, if you've got to worry about a bowel program, if you've got to worry about, you know, other difficulties that might come with the spinal cord injury, you don't have time to dedicate to researching, you know, if you're, if, if there are accessibility issues to get into a building or to even get into a vehicle, like, like, you know, you've got to worry about other stuff in your life. And so I got to the point where I thought, okay, I don't know a ton about the nervous system or about spinal cord injuries, but I do have this foundational knowledge of how can you take a person and make them stronger and improve their ability to move. And so I kind of, over time, I learned a lot more about spinal cord injury, about the neurophysiology, the anatomy behind it, and tried to mesh that with my passion and my knowledge for strength and conditioning. Um, and, you know, and that's what kind of shifted my focus into spinal cord injury. And so eventually I got to a point where I was seeing activity-based training and physical uh, exercise and rehab, it was working fantastic for some of my clients. And for my other clients, it was a way to keep healthy and keep their body in shape, but it wasn't necessarily enabling them to reach any functional goals they had. You know, unfortunately, they had injuries that were just so severe that physical activity alone was not going to cut it to, in terms of gaining sensory motor function. And I read every paper I could. I talked to a lot of local researchers to try and get studies done on more intensive, uh, you know, studies on how to better utilize more intensive physical rehabilitation. Again, most of my clients were people with complete injuries and the local researchers um, just were unable to collaborate. And the research I was reading, the papers I was reading weren't answering my questions. So, uh, that's when I decided to get into research. So it was 2015, I decided to pursue a PhD in rehabilitation science. I found a mentor at the University of Florida, Emily Fox, who specializes in uh, spinal cord injury and stroke rehabilitation, along with a few, few other interests, and got into research from there. That's very cool. That, that's a definitely a winding a winding road to uh, to lead you there. Yeah. Uh, you know, on your uh, um, there's a link on your Instagram uh, bio about uh, to a to a website dealing with uh, respiratory strength training for people with spinal cord injuries. Mm -hmm. um, and I just want to know, yeah, like what what is that all about? Like what um, you know? Can you give us kind of a brief overview of what respiratory strength training? Uh, yeah, it's like, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, respiratory strength training is an interest I developed while getting my PhD. Uh, I never thought that I would study so much breathing over the course of my PhD, but I, but I learned a lot about breathing and a lot about, um, breathing weakness after spinal cord injury and the importance of breathing strength after spinal cord injury. And so, um, most people after spinal cord injury are able to breathe independently uh, 
one way or another, you know, unfortunately, some people with the most severe injuries still live dependent on a ventilator. Um, but most people are able to breathe day to day on their own, have a conversation like you and I are having right now. But when it comes to the ability to cough, when it comes to the ability to clear the airway or to try and, you know, hawk up a loogie, to put it scientifically, um, a lot of the residual muscles that allow you to do breathing behaviors like that are still left quite weak. And respiratory muscle weakness is respiratory weakness overall is one of the reasons that people with spinal cord injuries are at a higher risk for respiratory infections like pneumonias versus the general population. Um, and so it was actually, it was actually before the COVID-19 pandemic that I started to really push the importance of respiratory strength training uh, for people that I knew in the spinal cord injury rehab world. And then after uh, the pandemic came about, I, you know, decided to try and get the message out there more that it's just something super simple that people with spinal cord injuries can be doing to strengthen their breathing um, and potentially reduce their risk for respiratory infections. So respiratory strength training involves, you know, a small portable handheld device. And there are a couple different companies that make you know, each have their own model of uh, devices, but essentially what it does is it resists your breathing. So it has a mouthpiece on it and most of them use either uh, a spring loaded valve or a small aperture. So like imagine trying to breathe through a coffee straw, but the devices are designed with variable resistance and you simply put your mouth on the mouthpiece and then you breathe. But again, like I said, it provides resistance to your breathing. So uh, a professor of mine once called it a dumbbell for the diaphragm. But really, it's, it's a dumbbell or a barbell for all of the muscles that allow you to inhale or exhale. And a lot of research out there has shown that even people with the most severe spinal cord injuries can improve the strength of their breathing muscles utilizing respiratory strength training and some other studies have shown that, you know, if you get your strength over a certain threshold, depending on your injury level, you can reduce your risk of respiratory infections. I think the reason that a lot of people don't know about respiratory strength training or might not practice it is because uh, it's not very glamorous. <laughs> right. You know, put it, putting your mouth on a, on a mouthpiece with a small, you know, uh, spring-loaded valve doesn't make for the most exciting Instagram video <laughs> and or or you know if people think they want to get in shape and get you know really hit their rehab hard they might want to you know do some standing or assisted weight bearing or other things like that and and I mean literally the respiratory strength training it doesn't look very exciting yeah. but but I do think it's a super important part of uh, overall health and wellness for people with spinal cord injuries and most of the devices, you know, they're, they're fairly cheap and, and you can use them anywhere. Yeah. Maybe you can, uh, give me the names of a couple of those and I can link them on, uh, when I post the podcast and, uh, yeah, I mean, especially right now and, and, you know, with the, with the COVID, um, 
global pandemic going on, I mean, it's, it, I mean, that's a big concern of myself and I'm sure a lot of other people uh, dealing with spinal cord injuries. So um, yeah, any way to, to boost up your, your, uh, your lungs is, is definitely a good thing. I remember when I was in the hospital, they gave me this thing. It looked like a, like one of those little noise making kazoo type thing. <laughs> and it was like had different, le- like uh, different holes that you, you could like twist. Uh, so it, it would give you a little bit of resistance um, on, on your breathing. And that thing was, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess it sounds pretty similar, but uh, I do remember that was a pain in the ass. So it was uh, yeah. definitely hard, but you know, it, it doesn't look, doesn't look difficult, like you said, but uh definitely is a is a good thing to to be working on so yeah that and that's great that that that's uh, one of your focuses too because uh it's so important for all levels of uh spinal cord injuries and yeah and tommy i wanted to one couple of last things here i just wanted to find out so i know you just recently started at the va working with the va uh, a couple of months ago here uh, maybe not even that long ago but uh what you know did I guess being able to work, work with, uh, so, I mean, I guess you're, you're dealing with a lot of people who are maybe, uh, you know, injured in, in war, um, you know, things like that, that, that suffered spinal cord injuries now. So what is that like? I mean, that, that's, that's pretty meaningful work. I feel like, you know, like these guys that, that are risking their lives for our country and, and end up with a spinal cord injury, you know, I mean, I think that's a pretty noble cause. So what, what kind of led you there? what, you know, how, how do you feel about, about working with, uh, veterans? Yeah, it's, uh, working with veterans is, it's, it's one of those things like there's ways that it's the same with working with, you know, the, the general population of spinal cord injury, but there, there definitely is something different about it that, you know, a lot of people, you know, unfortunately, they just might be, their injury might just be the result of a tragic accident. And I I don't mean to downplay the impact that that can have on the life, on someone's life or the life of their loved ones. But but it, I guess it's hard to describe. Maybe I could answer this better <laughs> in a year. But But there is something different about the perspective of working with somebody who signed up to put their body on the line and, you know, signed up to risk their life uh, and, and ended up getting injured, you know, like you said, as a result of, of combat or something else that had to do with their service. Um, so, you know, it, I, I don't necessarily approach it any differently. You know, every individual is an individual, every inju- every injury is different. Um, but but yeah, there there is there is something something to it that that is a unique experience. Like I said, I, I don't I don't want to get to a point where I'm just rambling and then say something that I'm going to listen back and think, oh geez, why did I say that? No, no. But uh, but the the way that I got into the VA, so that actually is another <laughs> a little bit of a convoluted story. So I finished my PhD in June of 2020. And it turns out that during a global pandemic is a pretty sketchy time to try and graduate graduate school and figure out what you and your family are going to do and try and start a career in research. 
So in the course of my, uh, my studies, I was lucky enough to connect with a researcher at the VA hospital in Gainesville, right across the street from the University of Florida. Um, and his name is Joshua Yarrow. And he works at the VA there. He is very highly focused on muscle and bone rehabilitation after spinal cord injury. And uh, he does it in animal models, which is something I didn't necessarily have an interest in, but you know, I need a kind of, kind of like, uh, like this whole thing started once again, I just needed, you know, I needed a job after I graduated, you know, the pandemic kind of flipped life upside down and my wife and I, uh, you know, we weren't ready to leave Gainesville immediately when I was done. So uh, Josh thankfully took me on board and that was my first experience working in the VA. And uh, he took me on knowing that it wasn't necessarily the kind of work I wanted to do and knowing that I, you know, probably would leave sooner rather than later. Um, but he still decided to support me. And so I'm very grateful to that for this day. And it was kind of through his network of uh, VA researchers that he had met over his career. He was the one that connected me with Dr. Gorgi here in Richmond. Um, and it just so happened that when Joshua Yarrow emailed Ashraf Gorgi, Gorgi got back to him almost immediately and said, oh, really? You have a postdoc that wants to move into human research? Well, send him up to me. Nice. And... Uh, Thankfully, that worked out, and so here I am. That's very cool, very cool. Um, and, you know, kind of my last question, uh, Tommy, is, I, you know, I have, so we've, we've covered, uh, I haven't had a sci many scientists on here or, or uh, you know, research scientists, things like that, but um, at least not since the announcement of, um, by Elon Musk and Neuralink. I wanted to know if you even have much if you've looked into that much and, and what your thoughts on putting a microchip basically in your head and being able to move and, and start walking around again, what, you know. It's, uh, it's certainly an exciting prospect. Um, you know, simply from a scientific standpoint, it's, it's pretty fascinating. Um, I haven't had a chance to dive into it, uh, you know, too much, and I'm not sure how much literature, uh, like scientific literature dealing with the Neuralink technology is out there and available to the public. Um, you know, cause if you're, if your research is funded by grants from tax dollars, you're expected to publish and make your research results available to everybody. But if you have, if you're funded by venture capitalists or if you're working for a company, that's your intellectual property that you can make public or not. Um, so I'm, I don't know how much of the deep scientific stuff is out there about that. I don't know. I guess what I'll say is I'm not any more excited or any less excited by the Neuralink than I am about, you know, many other things on the horizon. And that's because everything that I've heard to the Neuralink to date, um, the prospect of, you know, reading what somebody is intending to do in the motor cortex and somehow translating that to a nerve in the body to allow movement 
is awesome. Again, it's it's fascinating. It's it's very ambitious, and I love that. But it, it doesn't address a lot of the other issues that people with spinal cord injury face. Um, you know, there's the loss of bone density. There's there's the loss of sensation or you know overexcitability of some sensory fibers that lead to spasticity. The loss of the ability to control you know one's body temperature. Uh, you know, the way I think of it. You know, I, my, my lane, as I've mentioned before, is sort of sensory motor rehabilitation, but that's only one aspect of curing spinal cord injury, of really making a big impact in the lives of people with spinal cord injury. You know, I don't want, I don't want to enable someone to just stand up out of their chair when they feel like it. I want someone who was once a diesel truck mechanic to go back to work as a diesel truck mechanic whether or not they're working in the winter in Alaska or the summer in Arizona. Right. And so I've not, I've not heard anything yet about the Neuralink that has made me believe it would make, you know, it'll regulate your body temperature or it will, it will make your sensation what it was before. Um, you know, again, I could be wrong. The information's just not out there, but I'm, I'm sort of, I'm tempering my excitement about the Neuralink specifically when it comes to curing spinal cord injury, because as big of a component as it could be, from what I know now, it's, it's only going to be one component and there's still a lot of other work to do right. um, again to get that cure. Um, so that just made me think of another question. Sorry to keep going sure. on here. Uh, so, you know, you said you weren't, you're not more or less excited after, uh, after hearing about the Neuralink um, for the, you know, uh, for a, a cure, I guess, for spinal cord injuries. Um, what would you say, what are, what, what, what's the most exciting kind of research thing that you found if you have something off the top of your head um, that you think is going to be the, the biggest kind of component moving forward uh, towards, towards a a cure for spinal cord injuries. Yeah, it's, it's hard to say. It's hard to put my finger on one thing. I think in general, there are some people who are very, some researchers who are slowly but surely um, working towards what appears could be regeneration of the spinal cord. So I think, you know, a big component of curing the spinal cord, again, especially for, for my focus, which is chronic and complete injuries, I just, what, you know, all the neuromodulation, all the neural technology rehabilitation, I, all of that is only going to get so far if you don't have some way of replacing the lost tissue in the spinal cord. I, you know, I think that's when it comes to, you know, hearing people, I think that's a massive component. And so, so you're talking about like 3d printed, uh, spinal cord columns or, um, 3D printed spinal cord columns, uh, you know, scaffolding that would allow implanted uh, stem cells or, or, you know, some other kind of regeneration technique to, to bridge the gap, so to speak. Um, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of the work Jerry Silver has done with trying to ablate 
the uh, the glial scar, as it's kind of commonly known at the injury, and and people who have come out of his lab are doing some exciting things. Um, you know, I, I I always like to follow the work of Murray Blackmore at Marquette University, who is who, to my knowledge, is kind of the leader in regenerating the corticospinal tract. You know, he's he's going about it. Uh, He's going about it in a good way, I think, and I don't know how long it'll take for his work to be successful or translated into humans, but I think um, things like that, things that actually deal with the injury and trying to replace some of the lost tissue, that's what's most exciting for me because, again, I don't believe there's going to be a magic bullet. You know, you could put cells in the spinal cord injury site, get them to grow into the proper types of cells. But that doesn't automatically mean that your nervous system is going to know what to do with them. Right. So I still think, you know, physical rehabilitation will be a component of that. But, um, but you know, if you really want to maximize everything you can, the people that are working on, on fixing the spinal cord itself, that's what I'm most excited about and what I'm cheering for the loudest from the sidelines. <laughs> I see. I see. Well, that's, uh, that's exciting stuff. Yeah. Like I, I'm definitely all in on, you know, we, we try to touch on every, uh, you know, every breakthrough, every, you know, new, new, new and improved uh, way of looking at this. So Dr. Tommy Suter, I appreciate you coming on, taking some time out of your day to, to join me on the podcast and kind of give, give an overview of what you do and, and uh, you know, maybe the future of, of what, rehabilitation is going to look like and, and, you know, spinal cord injury research. So I uh, appreciate Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me on, man. Yeah. My pleasure. We'll, we'll catch up down the road here. Ways. All right. That was Dr. Tommy Sutor. Uh, I, I called him Tommy because he told me to call him Tommy. I think that might've happened before the interview started. So I wasn't trying to be disrespectful. He's my guy, man. So, uh, yeah, I like the fact that he, um, you know, is looking at the rehabilitation process from a different angle and kind of saying, you know, like the, the stereotypical, like you, you're going to regain movement and, and, you know, uh, sensation for a couple years after your injury. And then it's like really pointless to do continue on with, uh, with rehab and stuff. So, um, he's kind of trying to turn things on their ear, man, which is very cool. Explain to me what you're talking about right now. So they say that you're, you know, like after a spinal cord injury, like all of your gains are in the first two to three years. I'm aware. And so he thinks that that's That's not true. Not true. Like you can still gain stuff back afterwards. So I love that. That's a, that's a silly, um, I don't care what science says. Anything is possible, bro. That's That's what I'm saying, man. Like you gotta, if you don't think that you can get any better after that certain time, it's likely not going to happen that that's the way the universe works in my opinion bro i still i sit here today man 20 what two years post-injury 23 years post-injury and i am convinced dude that in like not the not too distant future i'm gonna be walking again good like i don't i that has that has never like escaped my brain for one day it shouldn't in fact it should get it should be you should be feeling more I am like every time you read a story about, you know, whatever neuro and he talked about Neuralink too and said that that could be a, you know, he said he's no more excited or 
disc- encouraged or discouraged yeah. off of the Neuralink uh, situation because he said he wants to, you know, I mean, that's going to probably, you know, that'd be great to be able to move around and walk. And I think he gave the example of like a, a mechanic in Alaska. Like he wants like a mechanic in Alaska who gets a spinal cord injury. And we all know that spinal cord injured uh, people with spinal cord injuries are very sensitive to, to temperature. Mm-hmm. He wants that mechanic, diesel mechanic or whatever in Alaska to be able to go back. To, he wants him completely like a, a, a completely normal, like he was before his injury. Yeah. Um, not like having to sure. monitor all these things because you can't feel your feet while sure. you're walking, you know? And I, I get that, that that's, that's the, where the Neuralink falls a little bit short. Right. But potentially, um, we don't know what could happen if a person that has a spinal cord injury begins to move like normal. That's okay. what I'm encouraged to find out. Yeah. What kind of changes will happen in the body? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, just like with the um, uh, transcutaneous um, electrical stimulation that that they're working on at the University of Washington that we talked about last week, they're you know that they're having long term effect. I mean, it's not just benefiting them while they're doing the treatment. It's you know like you can see that mm-hmm. the, the, th- the the spinal cord wants to reconnect, right? It wants to send those signals through, so. The, just need uh, to make it happen. The human body is crazy. I mean, there's millions of things going on inside of us right now. Right. And your body's doing all the work, and we're not doing any of it ourselves. Right. Right? And so, it, for the, yes, the spinal cord wants to do what it's supposed to do. Right. So, we're just looking for that missing link. Why can it not do what it's supposed to do? Exactly. I mean, we know it's severed, but why, when you connect it back together, is it not is it not doing what it's supposed to do? So it wants to do what it's supposed to do and it can, right. The body can always heal. Yeah, it's true, man. Like it's crazy that your, uh, what are you olfactory bulb cells? Like your, the sense of smell, the yeah. cells that create your sense of smell yeah, yeah. continue to regenerate throughout your life until, you know, if you live to be 105, they're going to continue to regenerate over and over and over again. Right. But the spinal cord can't figure out how to, you know, reattach and grow back together. It's a, it's a mystery of uh, a modern mystery. science, man. But it's I think they're, I think we're on the, on the verge of a, Some, mi- somebody's making a breakthrough very soon. And yeah. there's a lot of people working on it. Absolutely. So that's, that's a positive sign. There's lots of podcasts bringing awareness. There are. I mean, I, and I don't want to, I'm not trying to brag, Brandon, but I mean, our audio quality is pretty, pretty on point. I'll leave it at that. Damn. Shots fired. <laughs> Just kidding, man. Still listen to all these other guys because they're, they're good too. They're having, they have good content. I can't believe, I can't believe they got Eric Hawk after six episodes, man. We didn't get him on. I mean, Dude, I guess we got, listen, we got, bro. what's her, we got Paul Basagoidia and, and Fern. Fern on our second episode or third. That's very true, man. Yeah, it's a, and, and that's a cool thing about this community, man, is that if you ask, people are going to do it, you know? Yeah, it's a, it's, I mean, at first it was like, dang, that's a high bar to set, but um, there's, there's just so much um, untapped like uh things going on in this community that we didn't even know about and then we just every day i'm like hey check out this person like we just need to connect all these people everybody needs to be knowing everybody 
that's a fact man mm-hmm. yeah and it's good like it, it's good to know and like just to be able to connect with other people and see like oh hey this guy is doing this this guy you know this lady's doing this like yeah. we're you know people like you you can learn a lot from how other people are dealing with things so yeah. Yeah. both mentally physically all that so um yeah brandon uh i know you had texted me or called me on monday and you were like did you see sports center top plays last night and they had, I think it was maybe maybe it was the first in the top plays, but it was uh, that Matt Graff, the um, team manager for the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Yeah, yeah, no, they. Uh, I just saw it on Twitter. Oh, okay. Sports Center had tweeted it. Okay, and he like led the team. He had gotten in some kind of severe accident last mm-hmm. year, and I don't know if he suffered a spinal cord. He suffered some major injury though, where he couldn't walk. Yeah. And, um, anyway, I reached out to him on Instagram and he hit me back and I was like, I'm a Husky fan, but I want you to know that I was like, I want you to know that up front. <laughs> and he said, I, I would love this. to be on the podcast, but it's, I'm, I'm a little busy with that. That's what he said. At first he's like, I'd love to be on the podcast, I'd be a little busy during March. And I was like, I wouldn't know what that is like yeah, because, uh, I'm a Husky be. fan. And he said, I'm sorry that you're a Husky fan, but <laughs> go Bulldogs or something. Yeah. So anyway, but yeah, we're going to get him on uh, as soon as the March Madness basketball tournament is over, which uh, yeah. good for them. <laughs> Happy for them. Okay. Hey, man, if they're if they're uh, I, I, I'm not even I'm not it's even Washington. mad at Gonzaga anymore, man. Like, go ahead. Yeah, we're not Do even on thing. the level. Doesn't yeah. matter. Doesn't matter. So, yeah, and that's very cool, man, that he's still a part of their program and even after suffering an injury like that. So he's going to be on the podcast shortly here, um, probably sometime in April after they maybe cut down the nets. Uh, Anyway, so, uh, yeah, thanks for for listening to the podcast. Oh, it's an asterisk here to me anyway. It doesn't count. (laughs) I'm not, but I might have to cut that out. I want to make sure he comes on the podcast. Anyway, um, yeah, thanks everybody for listening. Again, if you can share this, go listen to episodes you haven't heard yet. They are all fantastic, if you ask me. Um, And yeah, we'll be back with you next week.